Welcome to Stories from the Midland, a collection of historic tales from Teller County and the surrounding areas. In today's episode, we're talking about a man who found his way from a notorious crew of bandits into Cripple Creek. This episode was written and is being presented for you by Tommy Allen. Harry says to me, Look, Bob gambles better than anything else. I've watched him. He's good. Why don't you set him up in a gambling house somewhere? Cripple Creek, Colorado. That's a good place. We don't have any connections in Colorado. We might need a location down there someday. This is how John Lamb, associate of the Wild Bunch, remembers how Harry Longabaugh, alias the Sundance Kid, came up with the idea of sending Bob Lee to Cripple Creek. Bob Lee, also known as Robert Curry, was not as big a name in the Wild Bunch as Butch Cassidy or the Sundance Kid. But like his cousins, Harvey Logan, AKA Kid Curry, and Johnny and Lonnie, Bob would assume his alias name after meeting George Flatnose Curry. Bob Lee was the son of Hiram and Lizzie Lee, with whom Harvey, Johnny, and Lonnie lived for a short time while in Dodson, Wyoming, after their widowed mother died in 1876. While a member of the Wild Bunch, Bob Lee was a natural at gambling and soon was offered a job running the fast action at the faro tables of the Board of Trade Saloon on Cripple Creek's Bennett Avenue. When he wasn't at Cripple Creek's gambling tables, he could be found at the Curry Brothers Saloon in Harlem, Montana, bartending for his cousin Lonnie. Working at the Board of Trade Saloon, Bob was often visited by members of the Wild Bunch. Kid Curry came by often using the name Harv Wright. Later, Pinkerton detectives also strongly suspected that a man named Frank Scramble that met Bob in 1897 was actually the Sundance Kid. Now, at the beginning of June 1899, Bob Lee wasn't at the tables. It seems he wasn't too far from Wilcox in southeast Wyoming. The Union Pacific Overland Flyer No. 1 train had two sections, each one pulled by its own locomotive. As the first locomotive approached milepost 609 at about 2.15 in the morning, it was flagged down by men with lanterns. Thinking the men may be warning of the bridge ahead being out, the engineer W.R. Jones braked the train to a screeching stop. Two masked men quickly boarded the locomotive and ordered Jones and his fireman, named Dietrich, to get the train across the bridge and be quick about it. When Jones acted too slowly, one of the outlaws clubbed him with the butt of his gun. It turns out that a fuse had already been lit on dynamite under the trestle and the outlaws wanted the train across before the explosives blew. The train accelerated forward and had barely cleared the bridge when the dynamite exploded. While the crossing wasn't completely destroyed, it did keep the second section of the Overland Number no. 1 from following. The hijacked train stopped again, the passenger cars were uncoupled, leaving only the mail and express cars hooked up to the locomotive, and the remaining train moved ahead another two miles where four more outlaws were waiting. With the train's clerk uncooperative, the outlaws blew open the door to the mail car with dynamite. Finding little of interest there, they moved to the express car and also blew its door open. Inside was a Pacific Express Company safe. Dynamite was applied to this door too, but the application of that last charge was 
maybe a bit too liberal as the explosion also blew out the walls and roof of the express car. As the wild bunch headed north towards their hole-in-the-wall hideout, their haul, as reported by Union Pacific Superintendent W.L. Park, was unsigned $100 treasury notes, cash, 19 scarf pins, 29 gold-plated cuff buttons, four Elgin watches, and approximately $20,000 in gold for a total take of around $50,000, nearly $1,800,000 in 2022 money. Once all the rewards for the killing or capture of the six robbers were totaled, each of the outlaws had a $3,000 price on his head, about $105,000 in 2022 money. Bob Lee and Lonnie Curry returned to work in the bar at Harlem, Montana, where they deposited $500 in a bank which had received information and descriptions of the stolen cash. The bank became suspicious and sent the money to Washington, D.C. for analysis. Bob and Lonnie's deposit never showed up in their account and they became suspicious. They sold their interest in the bar to a local businessman and left town on January 6, 1900. They were less than a day ahead of incoming Pinkerton agents. The two outlaws returned to Cripple Creek where they soon parted ways. Bob Lee had taken a job at the Antlers Gambling House, again dealing cards. Lonnie Curry left for the Lee Farm in Dodson, Missouri, where he had previously lived with Uncle Hiram and Aunt Lizzie. On February 28, 1900, Lonnie spotted Pinkerton agents and Kansas City detectives trying to sneak up on the house, and he fled out the back door. But a Pinkerton spotted him and shot him dead. Kid Curry, furious with the killing of his brother, started a vicious campaign of revenge against law officers. But that's a different story. With the law closing in, Aunt Lizzie sent to burning the letters she had received from her son, Bob, postmarked Cripple Creek. But she wasn't able to completely dispose of them and the unburnt ones landed in the hands of Pinkerton agents. The letters would only prove to be evidence after the arrest. On the same day Lonnie was shot, Bob was dealing a game of stud poker when the undersheriff walked up to him and asked him if he was Bob Lee. Bob Lee apparently looked up with a suspicious gleam in his eye and asked, what's it to you? The undersheriff arrested him on the spot. Apparently, neither Bob nor Lonnie knew the money was recognizable enough that it could serve as a trail for investigating agents. But that's exactly what happened. If you're a regular listener to Stories from the Midland, you may recognize the name J. Maurice Finn from our fourth episode, Notable Personalities, in which vice presidential candidate Theodore Roosevelt was run out of town. Well, as it turns out, Finn is the lawyer who defended Bob Lee in the Wilcox train robbery trial. The trial began on May 24th in federal court in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And despite an aggressive defense provided by Finn, Bob was convicted on May 28th and sentenced to 10 years in the Wyoming State Penitentiary, located in Rollins. In Cripple Creek, the Outlaws and Lawmen Jail Museum has a great display with information about the capture of Bob Lee. My visit there started me down the path of researching and writing this episode. In their display about the capture, you'll also find the accompanying newspaper article from the Cripple Creek Morning Times Citizen. 
interestingly, with Bob Lee and the Logan brothers all using the last name Curry, the Times Citizen misidentifies Bob's relationship. In bold letters, the newspaper proclaims, his brother killed yesterday near Kansas City. By the way, the display about Bob Lee is just one of the great things to discover in the Outlaws and Lawman Jail Museum. If you find yourself visiting all Cripple Creek and Victor have to offer, I'd highly suggest a visit. I'll put a link to their Facebook page in the episode notes. I'll also put a link to the Wyoming Frontier Prison, which is now a tourist attraction, but which was the Wyoming State Penitentiary when Bob Lee was incarcerated. Thank you for listening. This is Tommy Allen, and on behalf of Trevor Phipps, have a great day. And should you find yourself stealing a bunch of cash and riches from a train, it may not work out so well for you. We look forward to having you join us for more Stories from the Midland. You'll find the episode notes along with the references used on the episode's webpage. Go to storiesfromthemidland.com slash podcasts.